2: Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that is future proof as a phone book. It's Sif Pop. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most weekends or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks, patrons get those perks. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and he's not just the water, he's the ocean. It's Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, <laughs> Each week we'll chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome our guest this week. He's running on a bunch of Pop-Tarts and three pots of coffee. It's John Negroni.
1: Woo! Ooh, hello. That is very accurate, actually. <laughs> you know,
2: I, I thought it might be. I
1: thought it might be. <laughs> Uh, welcome Relatable. back, John.
2: It is uh, it is good to have you here. John has been on the show before. He is an amazing Pixar expert. So we thought him would have him in again as we talk about Soul and Wonder Woman uh, 84. Um, and you are also the host and creator of Cinemaholics, right? The podcast yeah. and the website, uh, if you want to check that out. And uh, also the author of a book about Pixar called The Pixar Theory. And I know we've talked about this before. Um, But if you remember back to the idea of all the Pixar universes being intertwined, uh, John is the one who kind of put that into the world and popularized it and wrote a book about it. And um, that's just one of those fun things that you will always have. It's like, you know, (laughs) I connected all the Pixar dots. That was me, guys.
1: (laughs) It's it's not the most fun dinner table conversation (laughs) because of all of the obvious heated arguments it generates. Sure. I, I have to use it wisely, you know.
2: How has that how has the Pixar theory aged? I didn't warn you about this this question, but like as more and more Pixar movies come out, do you continue to do addendums at least in your own mind or like how sure. how like has the Pixar theory continued to to grow with the the movies since then?
1: I mean, it doesn't age like wine or anything like that, but <laughs> I do think that it ages in a fun way, like people still talk about it and come up with like amazing additions themselves Mm -hmm. and it's always a thrill to read them um i actually like the the book i wrote is currently in the middle of being re-released so it's actually not available right now because we've we've kind of changed it up a bit and it's going to have like new chapters and everything but it's taking forever to get it out because of covid so sadly it's not available Mm -hmm. right now but i'm excited like i'm going to be like going on the pixar theory campaign trail hopefully in 2021 and it's going to hopefully be as airtight as ever airtight in air quotes because it's never been airtight
2: (laughs) yeah uh whatever the case uh however much air is or is not let in or out of the pixar theory uh it is certainly fun to think about and to discuss and to theorize on and that's that if nothing else that's something really cool to have put into the world you know something that you know so many people have had fun thinking about and uh and that's it's really cool and i'm really glad to have you back on john it's really good to have you here to talk uh, about Soul and Wonder Woman 1984. And it was what to sure to be a completely uncontroversial episode uh, with uh, the, the opinions on these movies uh, this week. So it's been interesting to watch the internet with movies that are available to everybody, right? Like this is a new thing with the kind of the pandemic era and this kind of thing where big movies are coming out in theaters and in your homes at the same time. Uh, and uh, an effect of that is really this populist takeover of discourse, which is really beautiful, as far as I'm concerned. I think it's a good thing, but it's also a very um, heated thing, can be. And so, you know, to kind of see that with the Wonder Woman takes and the Soul takes, uh, probably more the latter than the former. Um, yeah, it's 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 been an interesting kind of thing to to see, and I think we'll we'll see more of it, John. I'd love to pick your brain. Like, how are you feeling about? like this evolution of the movie going experience and what it means like
1: how is that impacting you well i'll start by saying when it comes to the online discourse uh, my strategy for soul and wonder woman 1984 has been to largely stay out of it because (laughs) i have way better things to do and think about than you know this cacophony of opinions and like who's a real critic and like all this boring stuff i don't really Mm -hmm. care about um, in terms of like the the streaming universe and how all that's been going, I actually started am uh, you know, a sly plug here. I started a new uh, YouTube live stream myself called the Big Stream, which I've been doing for Cinemaholics, where I've been going in depth on the HBO Max stuff, the Warner deal, what Sony is doing in response, the Disney Plus strategy. Uh, because I do think it's fascinating and it's like it's shaping, I think, the future of movies in ways that we don't fully know what to do with yet, and the future is super uncertain. It's like equally exciting to equally terrifying for me in some ways because there's a lot of great things that can come out of it there's a lot of like moments like this where people can watch soul and wonder woman in their living room where previously they might not have been able to do so financially with their families but now they can share those moments uh, ahead of time and not be spoiled on the experience like they would be if they had to wait months but then the other side of that is that the theater business is in danger of going away forever, at least being altered in a way that it's not accessible to a lot of people who don't live in huge metropolitan areas. and So I worry about that as well, but I, I'm definitely not a uh, 100% cynical or anything like that. I think the future is exciting and we just got to see it coming a little bit.
2: Yeah, I think we'll figure it out. I think at the end of the day, there are too many people who want to make... This is the same thing I say about kind of the IP culture that, that people lament as well, where it's like, where are the original ideas? Well, we're going to talk about one today, right? Like they still happen. And the reason they still happen is because people still have them and there will always be a place. And in fact, maybe even now more than ever, where people can find a way to enact their original ideas. The technology makes it easier than ever before. And so I'm, I'm not worried about the idea of like storytelling, like storytelling is always going to be a thing in some way or form. And there will always be fun, original stories um, for people to tell. Um, but the economical uh, kind of um, uh, you know uh, the economical issues that come with evolution are real issues. You know, jobs that people have that will no longer have the ability to you know invest as much money in kind of even those secondary jobs. A lot of times we think, well, it's just the people pulling down the big paychecks. And, you know, there's, there's an industry, right? And that industry has a lot of people. And if the money diminishes to that industry, how does it change the way movies are made? So, like, those are things that are important to think about, I think. But overall, I think above my pay grade. Like, I don't know how to process a lot of that stuff. What I do know how to process is the idea of storytelling and what it means to me personally and how I do not fear that that's going – the idea of storytelling is going away. What it's going to look like, I don't know, but I, I don't think that's – you know going away in any uh long term sense. Um so yeah, so it'll be it'll be an interesting uh 2021 as we head towards it. Um all right, well, let's talk about some movies guys. Let's kick it off with Soul.
0: Is this heaven? No. It's the great before. This is where new souls get their
2: personalities, quirks and interests before they go to Earth. Meet 22. I don't wanna go to Earth. Stop fighting this. I don't wanna uh okay look i already know everything about earth and i don't want anything to do with it you're missing out on the joys of life like uh pizza i can't smell we can't we can't taste either all that stuff is in your body no smell no taste or touch see joe is a middle school band teacher whose life hasn't quite gone the way he expected his true passion is jazz and he's good but when he travels to another realm to help someone find their passion, he soon discovers what it means to have soul. Uh, as mentioned, this debuted on Disney Plus on Christmas Day. Um, I had watched a screener before that, but then watched it again with my family uh, on Christmas Day. Um, so I have uh, seen it twice now. And uh, this, is, um, I th- this is Pixar's first uh, Pixar movie. Straight to streaming, right? Like I'm, I'm not. There hasn't been another one that's gone like straight to any kind of like. Onward was pretty quick, but uh, it was in theater first.
0: Unintended, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, well, what did you guys think? Did you like it? Love it? Dislike it? Hate it? Or it was just okay? Andrew, why don't we start with you?
0: Oh, great. <laughs> um, I thought it was okay.
2: Oh. Flaming. I oh, see arrows. he's trying to hide. <laughs> 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 we still see you, Andrew. We still we Understandable. Still, We still see. Hey, listen, this is a uh, safe place. This is a safe place. Uh if in, uh,
0: if to give context, if we were talking about like a in our pre-show we had like uh tiers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It would probably go on my C tier. Okay. No, that's that's so. good clarification. Yeah, for our
2: SIF Pop members uh show this week, uh if you are a SIF member at Patreon. Uh, we did a Pixar tiers conversation where we each ranked the tiers of Pixar movies and what that looks like. Um, I will go next. I'll let our guest uh, go last. Uh, I don't think it's any surprise that I loved this movie. Uh, it is Pete Doctor who has my number. Uh, Inside Out is one of my uh, top ten movies of all time. Um, and so he has to me done it again and I was supremely impressed both times I watched this uh, even more the second time It actually I don't know how but somehow it grew on me the second time I I watched it Um, this is firmly in the Transcendent Masterpiece uh, category for me it is one of it is in my top five Pixar Um, I I really really loved this movie John what did you think
1: well I'm sorry Andrew Um, I have to tell you this but uh, I loved it as well And, uh, you know, we have something in common there, Aaron. When I I saw a screener for it a few days beforehand, so like the first watch, I guess, was kind of like you. I wasn't really like, I didn't have like an impression of how this was gonna go over. I didn't didn't watch any trailers. I only watched the first teaser and that was it. I didn't know what I was in for. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it twice now as well. And you are so right about the second viewing it's even deeper and richer when you experience it the second time kind of knowing the like bones of the plot and everything so i came out of this uh similar to you this is for me the first like transcendent masterpiece from pixar since i think it's golden run in the like early 2000s i i think that for me at least it outshines inside out like it's a it definitely owes a lot to inside out and i love that film uh, as well i think it's really great but this movie has my number, uh, from like music to animation, to story. It just hit me on every level.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of, uh, trying to figure out where we want to, you know, start into kind of the, the further conversation of the movie. Um, let's, let's, let's start it here with, um, let's start it with just kind of general feelings on what elevates this movie for you, John, and I'll let you kind of kick us off into this. Like, specifically you mentioned a couple things specifically but like as you prioritize the parts of this movie that like puts it in that transcendent level for
1: you um you know what are they there's a bunch of things uh one of the first one of the initial things is i love the unique perspective we get out of this You know, one of the things I've enjoyed about a lot of Pixar films is how they don't always center around children as the protagonist. Sometimes they're really more about like parental relationships. Even in Toy Story, the way Woody and Buzz are sort of like patriarchal figures for Andy that resonates with the theme and that's something that's pretty universal even though they're toys but then also movies like finding nemo and incredibles where i think pixar has the boldness to focus stories on people who are middle aged. so that was one of the first things the idea that this is a black man in middle age in new york it's a very specific thing mm-hmm. and it feels unique it, and it feels amazing that pixar was able to pull something like this off it also feels very authentic um, to that experience and i credit Uh, Kent Powers, the co-director and co-screenwriter, for really bringing the story to life and adding a personal touch. You can really tell that Joe Gardner, our main character, really feels like a considered, fully realized person. In fact, one of the few flaws I think somebody could throw at this movie is how his characterization is so much better than maybe some of the other characters, arguably, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I don't know if that might be something that Angie would agree with. But the other component to this, I'll say real quick, is the jazz. And For me, I am a sucker for when a movie can take its music and just brilliantly weave it into the message. The idea of jazz is this improvisational, like you don't know what you're going to get out of the song mirrors exactly with you don't know what you're going to get out of life. And just making a musician's story and telling it in this like funny and accessible and risky movie about like death and purpose is for me a home run. I man,
2: I'm so glad you said that. That is by far the thing. Uh, if I were to answer that question, that elevates it for me is thematically how consistent and beautiful and deep uh, this movie is, and the idea of, and, and not only that it is, but it's also I wouldn't. It's it's the message is not controversial, but it is counterintuitive in some ways because you know. Certainly, our culture is one that thinks of purpose as being vocational, right? that thinks of you know, what you were made to do, you know, and what you're good at and how you make a living and what you're going to do with your life and how those things interact. And this movie has the guts to say, yeah, but no. <laughs> like it's just like like there's something very counterintuitive about th- this movie going no that's actually kind of wrong like you're the idea of your spark and your purpose aren't necessarily connected like that's a that's a big idea in in really kind of a you know a countercultural one um and to western what's that say bit. that again
1: it's it's a little bit anti-western it's a little bit of eastern philosophy right. mixed with western philosophy which is unique
2: yeah yeah and in You're so right that the movie then, you know, lays that message into the perfect avenue for it of jazz, which, you know, again, like you said, the idea that improvisation, not knowing where it's going, you know, what what takes you there is not the the same place that you end at and and all those things. And then to layer that into the character's journey in the way that it's layered in so beautifully and kind of his perspective and his change and and his evolution. So, yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned it because in, in people who, you know, listen to me know this, but I mean, theme, message, uh those kind of things are always going to float the highest for me. And it's just and it's because of the resonance for me. And uh and so yeah, so this movie does that that really really well. Um, Andrew, some thoughts. You uh, you have some positive thoughts, I'm sure that you can share before you get into your negatives. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
0: If you hadn't set them all, <laughs> did we check off all your about positives? This? No, honestly, yeah. The best thing about this film is the uh, that jazz is improvisational and unpredictable, just like life. Thank you a lot for taking that from me. <laughs> but no, no, it, it's not, it's not like it's a hidden secret. I mean, is is the main? I think it's the main message of the movie is that life is unpredictable. Life is not something you can you can have a plan, but don't always rely on that plan to come to fruition. You have to be able to adapt and evolve and stuff like that and go with the flow. I mean, it's the perfect analogy. Um, I know that some people can kind of uh, tie in like jazz is soul music and that this m- title has like a, a double meaning to it. A person's soul, sure. and soul music, stuff like that. Um, I think that uh, for me, I, uh, not only the message of the music is like my favorite thing. I think the m- music itself is my favorite thing in the movie. Um, it's just a beautifully scored movie. It, it makes uh New York like come alive in a different way than, you know, like I'd seen, like, you know, you can kind of tie jazz music to New York, but in an animated movie, that's something I never thought that I would really get. Yeah. Uh, so Yeah, that's a really impressive. Well done, Pete.
2: Yeah, no, the music is great in it as well. Um, Let's talk about some other factors that we haven't talked about uh, yet. Let's talk about the humor in this movie. Um, Did that work for you? Did it not work for you? Uh, I found myself smiling and laughing along in in kind of typical Pixar fashion. Uh, The jokes are well-placed and and worked well for me. Did you guys have the same experience?
1: Sure, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I will say... That uh, it's for me it was funnier the second time because I was paying more attention to the jokes. I think in the first one I was still trying to figure this world out, so some of the jokes like kind of went over my head or I didn't really pay attention. Especially when you're in the U seminar part of the movie, yes. And yeah. there are so many like sly gags that I just didn't really like. They just didn't register. My favorite characterization though, of the humor in this movie comes from the Double Toasted Guys on YouTube. Um, I think they they said it perfectly where they're like, it's not laugh out loud comedy, it's humorous. It's just a movie that has like humor weaved throughout the whole thing. It's not here to just make you gut laugh constantly.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And um, the it reminds me of uh, what P-Doctor does so well in, in Inside Out is like this is as, as well, is because he's dealing with philosophical existential things, he can have philosophical and existential jokes, which are Totally different kind of jokes than normally what you would think of in a movie. I think of an inside out of the uh, the facts and opinions box that gets, you know, jumbled and, you know, oh no, now I can't tell facts from opinions, you know, like that yeah, whole thing. Yeah. Like, you know, those kind of, that kind of subtle, fun, philosophical idea, you have more of a playground in something like this to play with. And so yeah, I totally agree. I think that's, that's what you're hearing. What about you, Andrew?
0: Uh, I, I laughed out loud only at one joke. And it was a basketball joke as a hint. <laughs> that's the only. That's the that's only time I actually like laughed out loud. Other than that, I was like, you know, I would just you know do the one sure. lip raise. Uh, so, but I mean, not every single Pixar movie has to be uh, a side splitting, you know, laugh fest. And uh, I don't think Coco was a side splitting laugh fest. And it's you know a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. Uh, I was disappointed by. Some of the characters that I saw that I felt had potential to be like the real, like, because I know this character was meant only to be funny. Like uh, the Graham Norton character, I'll just throw that out there. That character's only purpose really is to be funny, you know? And I felt that it kind of fell flat. And I was disappointed because I could see that character being hilarious. And I was just like, ah, I wanted more from that one. But, uh, I, and actually, I think I felt that way about a bunch of characters in this one. Like, oh, I wanted more from that character. Is that a story thing or, for
2: you or a performance thing for you? Like, why do you think it fell it's short? Definitely
0: not a, it's definitely not a performance okay. thing because that's why I knew, like, there was potential there, like, the way Graham Norton or, you know, Richard Ayote was like, you know, whenever these people are uh, delivering their lines, you know, I'm like, oh, man, if they just had the right line, you know, they could really get me going and laughing. But uh, I think the movie, uh, rightly, I guess, was really focused on uh, Joe's story as opposed to, you know, having, you know, characters make you laugh. But if you're going to focus on that, then you don't need so many characters. There's a lot of characters in this that I feel are just either underserved or uh, useless.
2: It's interesting. I, I I I know I disagree. And I think the reason is, is I see those characters as spices, right? And the amount of spices you put in whatever the dish may be are important. And, you know, maybe that mix was off for you, but I felt like it wasn't like they, it they didn't feel wasted to me. They felt like they, they played the role of, you know, adding those those moments of levity or adding, you know, kind of uh, expanding the idea of the world, doing some world building, those kind of things. I really liked the Soul yeah. Sorter cat- uh, character. I, I thought that was a lot of fun, and I liked kind of their back and forth and the way they played off each other.
0: That's actually the, the counter. That's mm-hmm. the one that uh, I had oh, I was gonna bring him up
1: with. Terry what? I love Terry so much I love all I love the Picasso design that they did for those like characters Mm -hmm. but every time especially on the second watch when Terry is like just hamming it up he's like I just love his expression I love like how this movie even though it doesn't really have a villain it has him as the antagonist but he's like a he's a funny antagonist without it feeling like too low stakes I don't know it worked for me for sure
2: I, you know, another thing I I really liked, and I I don't think this is, I don't think we're getting into too many plot details for this to be, you know, too spoilery, but there's a mother-son relationship here that's an interesting one that I don't know that you often see, especially in movies like this of a middle-aged man and his mom, and kind of the idea of her expectations, her, you know, what, what she wants for her son, and it's set up in a way that we have seen before, but then paid off in a way we haven't, and I love when Pixar... Does that where it's like this thing that you've seen be the antagonism to the story, is um, is kind of just a balance to this story if that makes sense. So it's it it allows a perspective that when you first hear it may seem uh, like it is it is moving our protagonist in the you know incorrect direction, but then through a larger view you realize how balanced that perspective allows for you know the evolution of our our character's journey. Uh, I, I just I really like those scenes. I really like those scenes. And I think Felicia, uh, you know, Rashad is a big uh, reason for that. But um, but yeah, I thought that was that was really well done as well. Yeah,
1: it was weird because I was on the mother's side in like the first scene where she's introduced. But mm-hmm. I even though I was on her side and I was just kind of like, you know, this is a great opportunity for you, Joe. Like this is the first part of the movie. I totally get though where Joe is coming from. And mm-hmm. I totally get that. Like how he wants this thing so badly and he feels like it's an obstacle if he commits to something else. And the fact that I can be on one side, but still respect and understand the other perspective is just really good writing. And real quick, I did want to mention, because we mentioned the soundtrack and everything, the Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross score that was kind of mentioned before. I don't know if you two have listened to the soundtrack by itself, but Oh, my word. Uh, Anybody who's watching this and maybe is on the fence about Soul, check that out. It doesn't spoil anything of the movie, but like by itself, it is a terrific soundtrack of music for sure.
2: It is. It is gorgeous. And so is a lot of the uh, visual uh, envisioning of this world and transitions between worlds and that kind of I mean, it's just some really stunning animation, which, you know, you shouldn't be surprised coming from Pixar. Um, We have gone this entire time and not mentioned the name Tina Fey. And Tina Fey plays a central uh, character in this movie. Um, is that is that one of your negatives, Andrew? Like you know, it's just it's interesting that we've gotten this far in the re- review and haven't even mentioned her.
0: No, uh, I, I like uh, Tina Fey. I think that her and Jamie Fox play well off of each other. Um, when it, I, I didn't mean her. Whenever I was talking about you know the other characters in the movie besides Joe, sure. Uh, just to like give an analogy, if you look at Finding Nemo, there's There's a plethora of characters that you care about and add something to the story. You know, you got Marlin, you got Dory, you got Nemo, uh, all of these characters that come together and tell one story here. I really only felt a connection between Joe and Tina Fey. I'll just say uh, Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey's character. Everybody else was there to serve them as opposed to being a character within themselves. Uh, I think Tina Fey is hilarious in this. She's great. Um, It's hilarious in a uh, mm, amount. But uh, uh, yeah, I think that her and Jamie Foxx play well off each other.
2: Yeah, and I should be clear. It's not like we've mentioned Jamie Foxx's name yet either. Uh, So, you know, and and maybe that's just a testament to the fact that they are their characters, uh, which, you know, Pixar has this incredible history of perfect casting. And um yeah. and I, I think that continues here because honestly I knew it was Jamie Foxx, but I didn't think of Jamie Foxx this entire movie. You know, I Same. thought of Joe. Yeah. And that, that's that yeah. is casting. That's voice casting. That's how you do it. Um, you know, DeVee Diggs pops in for a snack, you know, and it's like that in so perfect and it's great casting. I do take issue, Andrew, because you mentioned finding Nemo. That that is I mean that's a that's a a two hander. That is, you know, Doria Marlin. You know, Nemo's got kind of his adventure in the tank or whatever. But you know, that's you know, if you you look at like Crush or like you know uh, Bruce, like that's kind of a lot of of that movie are these secondary characters that just kind of come in for their moment um, and and continue on. I think Pixar has a history of that.
0: Well, I mean, if you look at like Gil Gill or uh, who who was the fish tank, I think? yeah. Well, not just the fish tank. I think Nigel Gill, Nemo, Dory, and Marlin. That's five characters that I think play a very integral role to this as opposed to being flavor, as you would say, for our main characters. Whereas I feel in this one you only have two uh, that you really, really care about and the others are just kind of there. I'm not saying that there's not emotional moments like the scene with uh, Joe and his mom. That's an emotional moment, but I think that the mom character is really only there to serve Joe. I think a lot of the characters in this movie are either there to serve Joe or to serve Tina Fey. Um like they're used they're used to give you a backstory for him like his, uh, like Joe's students, you know, uh, or that I forget the name of the one girl who's his, you know his main student, you know. Connie. She doesn't serve anything to the movie besides to give context for Joe. I I think
2: it I think it works though. I mean, and and I, I do see that in other Pixar movies as well. So those Connie yeah, scenes were say. were extremely yeah. moving to me. Uh and I don't think she needed to be anything more than that. Um I mean Joe is our protagonist and the movie serves him. And I think that's that's the you know, that's the the way it should be. Um Andrew, what are some other you... Oh, go ahead. If you had further thoughts, go ahead.
0: No, I I was just gonna ask you guys, uh I think that, you know, Coco was, you know, it kind of dipped its toe and, you know, the, uh, you know, the afterlife and what that means for people. Whereas this one definitely just jumps, I guess you could say jumps into the deep end. Uh, do you think that some of this, uh, the topics and the material are something that would garner a a talk with your children before or after watching this movie? Mm, It's a good question. um, death is a very serious subject and i'm not saying that pixar isn't you know shouldn't be allowed to talk about subjects you know like this i mean more power to them i just it's it's something new or something that we're new that we're being introduced to from them granted disney is no stranger to killing off yeah. characters especially <laughs> parents
1: I'm not a parent. I have a lot of nieces and nephews. And thinking of myself as a kid, you know, I never had any talks with my parents about death, honestly. Like, it's something that I feel like as a kid, I came across through media, through Disney movies. And it wasn't something like I feel like when you're at a certain Hmm. age, like the existential dread of death doesn't really become a thing until you're slightly older. And then at at that point, I think you already know what the deal is. So a movie like this that kind of makes light of it could go either way it could make people sort of feel like a comfort almost in this subject matter Um, but it could also get people thinking about things they don't want to think about right now so they have to push down so i could see both sides of that
2: yeah yeah i would just echo what uh uh, what john said i don't know that there's any big conversation to have if my kids were younger uh, all my kids are older now but if they were your uh if they were younger, I, I would probably let them lead the conversation and it would probably be after we watched the movie. That's just, that was kind of the way we processed things was after, you know, I, you know, I would obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, cause all parents are different. Um, but I would gatekeep on what we would watch. But then after we watched it, we would have the conversations about, you know, wherever their mind went, because that's the thing, you know, especially with younger kids is, they are sorting out reality from fiction. They're trying to figure it out. They're also built to emulate. They're built to imitate. Uh, and so um, so you know being able to process those things afterwards, um, you know, that was just kind of the the our practice. Um, so that would probably be the same with something like this. and you know
1: I, yeah, I would add to you, you know like in terms of like what this movie is saying about the afterlife, I think it's like tastefully neutral you can tell that they really put a lot of thought and a care about how people of like various religious faiths would react to this and how, you know, cause it would be so easy to offend somebody unintentionally. And I think in Pete doctor, we trust not to be glib about it. I think that he just has a really good handling of like, this is a way to approach this material that like, is accessible for everybody no matter where they're coming in from and that they can kind of get something out of this even if they disagree even if they look at the nature versus nurture aspect of it and they like well do you have a personality before you're born i think you could still like get something out of this movie even if you don't agree with some of its like premises or premises i suppose right and uh yeah
2: yeah, because they all they all serve a, a story. This isn't an educational textbook that P Doctor is, is putting out. You know, it's not saying this is what heaven is like or this is what a soul is like. This is, you know, in the same way that uh then Inside Out wasn't, you know, meant to be a, a psychological textbook. It was it was meant to be a story using an idea. And uh, I think he's doing the same thing here. So yeah. I think it's I think it's handled pretty well. Uh can we if,
0: talk about negatives now? Yeah,
2: yes, Andrew. Uh <laughs> go ahead and make up some negatives that don't really exist. Go ahead. Oh, yeah.
0: wow. <laughs> I think that the ending of this movie is a uh, cheap out. Okay, I really a cop do. out? Yeah, it's a cop out. Uh, I don't think it's fair, really. Uh, and I think that's, uh, yeah. Uh, but my big uh, negative is something you literally just mentioned with the uh, the personalities being born with and stuff. The, the main, uh, you know, driving force of this movie we talked about earlier on is the fact that, you know, it's jazz you know it's improvisational it has so many you know uh, evolutions and uh, branches off in different ways yet they introduce elements in this movie that feel a little fatalistic you know uh you know with uh, traits that who, of who you are going to end up being like you know i'm like well that's kind of counterintuitive to the uh the improvisational and uh the, I guess, free will element to
1: what I thought the movie was trying to tell me. I definitely disagree. I I think it's very compatible in my opinion. I think that what it's saying about personality is, first of all, it's, it is something that is established in psychology that we are born with like a temperament. I could see like, maybe because Pixar is making jokes of it, it's like, it's so specifically laid out, like the types of like personality is like, I am, you know, a megalomaniac who is aloof or whatever. Uh but I think what the boo's is trying to say is like, you are, you do start with something you start with like a set or you start with like a predisposition, but then that's where the improv kicks in. And like that, that's something I do like that. It's not simplifying. Like everybody just starts with like a clean slate. Cause I don't, for me, at least, that doesn't ring true. I think that I was born, and I didn't have control over a lot of things. I was nurtured, and there are things that can change and alter and and morph your personality. And I like how Soul starts a really cool conversation about well, what really makes you you? Is it you know the stuff that you were before you were born? Is it the stuff after? Is it the stuff that comes your way and how you interact with it? And I like that the movie. I, I get that it could some people would look at it as a cop out. Um, you know, not referring to the ending, but you know, I, I definitely see it as like, it is a really mysterious mix of all of that. And I like the honesty in that, that it's not trying to say it's just one thing. I, I don't think the movie is saying that it's, you're just born with this like spark. I think it's actually saying the opposite of that. Um, but I guess it sounds like you're saying that that's a contradiction. Um, because it's, it,
0: it felt, yeah. yeah, it felt a little contradictory to me. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. I, I can
2: understand where you're coming from. I do agree with, uh, with John, uh, I had one more thing to say, and then we can kind of wrap up. If you guys have anything else that you uh, that's um, that you kind of wanna kind of wanna hit, but the the one other thing that I wanted to mention, uh, there are this movie does several things that I found meaningful and moving, and there is a, a visualization of the idea of uh, I, I I don't want to just say anxiety because it's more than anxiety. I, I'll just say the lost soul idea in this movie was really moving to me, and especially the way the movie decided to connect the idea of being in the zone to the idea of a lost soul, as the movie calls it. And that was, I mean, I I love it when a movie can present something to me and I go, I genuinely have never thought of that before. And to connect those two things feels so real to me that feels like a very real connection and I just I love when a movie can do that and I just wanted to give the movie props for that uh, particular one because I, I that one really um, really hit me uh, in that way did you guys have anything else that you want to talk about
0: yeah uh, I agree yeah um, as somebody who suffers from anxiety it, it, it rang true so yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, the only other thing I want to say is that uh, you know I kind of mentioned before this is a movie that, you know, centers around a middle-aged person and <clears throat> I even saw like there were some comments and stuff about, you know, is this a movie that's really aimed toward kids? And it isn't really. It it to me it does feel like a movie that is more for adults. But what I like about that is that I think kids like that kind of thing when they're watching things that aren't pandering to them. So at least that's how I felt as a kid. Mm. And that's, I think that's how like my nieces and nephews re- respond to things. They tend to gravitate more toward things that aren't supposed to be for them, you know, and that soul is kind of like a Trojan horse in some ways because it can it, it kind of presents <laughs> itself as one thing. Um, but for me, at least like I'm not middle aged, you know, I, I just turned 30. And I'm in a stage of my life where I'm starting to think more about what life is going to be like when I get to that stage. And, you know, this movie was something that clicked for me with my anxieties of like, am I making decisions right now that are going to make my life better or worse when I get to a different age? When I get to the point where, you know, I'm going to have to start reflecting on my future. And Soul was just zen for me. (laughs) It really was like it moved me like no other Pixar movie has in a long time because it got me to like relax a little bit and like focus and dig in on the everyday moments and that is such an important message and i think that's why i at like the full-on loved it because like if somebody like me who's in between you know this movie's like main demographics if i can get that much out of it i think that it's just such a cherished thing for a lot of people so that's why i definitely want to champion this one
0: what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas Nice.
2: And that's, I think, a good way to uh, move us on to the next review. Uh, we are going to talk about Wonder Woman 1984. Citizens of the world, I'm here to change your life. Anything
0: you want. Anything you dream of, you can have it. you saw break your Diana, lucky you. It's like now one day has passed.
2: I don't want to be like anyone. I want to be an apex predator. Diana Prince lives quietly among mortals in the vibrant, sleek 1980s. Is that what the 1980s were? Vibrant and sleek. An era of excess driven by the pursuit of having it all. Though she's come into her full power, she maintains a low profile by curating ancient artifacts and only performing heroic acts incognito. But soon Diana will have to muster all of her strength, wisdom, and courage as she finds herself squaring off against Maxwell Lord and the Cheetah, a villainess who possesses superhuman strength and agility. Uh, Okay guys let's talk about world war 84 oh wait that's not what the w uh w stands for um let's start here uh did you like
0: we have john who we have john who's a pixar aficionado and me who's a dc aficionado there you go
2: that's right so. you're you're a big dc guy so yeah you'll have a lot of good insights to this and i look forward to hearing them but let's start here did you like it love it dislike it hate it or it was just okay uh john why don't you start us on this one
1: I liked it. And nice. I, you know, whenever I get a movie that does not feel like all the other superhero movies, I just have such an easy time not caring about the problems. And sure, like after the fact, I've been like, yeah, that was weird. Yeah, that was weird too. But as I was watching this, and I, to be clear, I just watched this uh, yesterday. So, like, I watched it after the like every opinion under the sun kind of got placid about it. Right, yeah. I just found myself being super into it and really appreciating these like huge swings and for me most of the swings basically landed so i i came away from it being like yeah i like that i might even like it more than the first one
2: i had saw you tweeted that and i was very excited um to uh, make sure we had at least one voice uh on the positive side of this movie uh not to not to <laughs> not to tip my hand uh Exciting. but andrew what did you think well, why
0: don't you go ahead why don't you sure, go ahead, Aaron? sure
2: uh i am so close to saying i hated this movie and i very rarely do that um and I'm not going to. I'm going to be on the low side of disliked it, and there's a very specific reason that that we will get into as to why I refuse to say I hated this movie. Um, what did you think, Andrew? Like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay?
0: I am on the high side of disliked it. Okay. I'm pretty close to okay, but uh, I'm going to go with a disliked it. Um,
2: I guess I'll just explain... Um, what I was talking about, and then we can kind of get into some of the positives of this movie. Uh,
0: I think. Erupt with rage, Aaron. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that probably won't happen until the spoiler cast, because there are just all these specific moments uh. I, I just need to digest with you two and understand if the movie is really doing what I think it's doing. Um, mm-hmm. But I think overall, what I can say is I was expecting a modern superhero movie set in the 1980s. I was not expecting an actual movie made in the nineteen eighties. I wasn't yes. I, I, I was not yes. I was <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to go not only are we going to play with the era, we're going to play with the meta-ness of the eighties movie and cheesy villains and you know all that kind of stuff. That's my main negative. Well and and, and I think I from from what I'm parsing from others who, you know, love or dislike the movie, I think whether or not you're willing to go with it is the primary thing here. And if you if you're willing to em, embrace what I see as a, a really idiotic goofball nature of this movie, then, you know, maybe that's how you have a good time. I just couldn't do it. I just I was like there's a no. reason we've evolved past this kind of cheeseball one-liner 80s action film kind of thing. So but I do want to talk about the good stuff first. Uh, and John, since you liked it the most, um, tell us what you what you specifically enjoyed about it.
1: Well, I do want to be clear that you know being different just for the sake of being different is not enough. If this film was only you know trying to do things that other superhero movies just don't do or you know bother trying, then you know it for it could still be a total misfire. Uh, and a good example is that's how I felt with Batman versus Superman. Like, yes, it was definitely trying something different there um but for me that just did not work at any level but on the opposite spectrum i think this movie is being different and it's being in a different in a way that for me was completely successful because as i was watching this so many things kept happening that i wasn't expecting that just felt refreshing i guess uh specifically like the motivations of our main villain and the fact that he comes across this this uh sort of MacGuffin sort of thing that I won't give away that is very goofy. It's very cheesy, but he's actually kind of smart and clever about it. And the mechanics of how that works, it makes for a type of story that is so just different. It's like our main character, for example, just can't punch her way to a solution. She has to actually think on her feet and he has like a set of powers that do have understandable limits, but are also very devastating. And even though there are some things in here that, Don't go to their full potential, which is my main criticism, particularly Gal Gadot's acting. I just found myself being like, I'm gonna remember this. Like, I remember the mechanics of this story. It's not so samey. Like, I don't feel like I'm watching a movie that, you know, is just trying to be another Marvel film that is like kind of a generic bad guy that I'm never gonna think about again. Uh, But it actually is like building up characters that make sense to me that are likable. And this movie absolutely 100% is drunk on cheese, and I enjoyed watching it be drunk on cheese.
2: (laughs) There you go. There you go. Andrew, what are some of your initial
0: thoughts? Uh, My biggest pro for the movie is Pedro Pascal. I think his acting is superb in this. His acting is great. Uh, The actual writing for his character is... Uh, it leaves a little to be desired, but for what he's given, he is really trying to push, you know, of what he wants me to feel. And it worked for a lot of the times. Um, I I do agree that Gal Gadot's acting is a little lacking in this. Um, Can I, can I say something about that? Trying to,
2: I'm trying to think of positives. Go ahead. Um, I, I heard something and now I can't quit thinking about it. Um, I heard someone compare Gal to Arnold of the 80s.
1: Yeah. And I cannot
2: editorial. get that out of my head. And yeah. I I think there's some legitimacy there and in and, and that's okay. Like it's it doesn't have to be like a a horrible thing um because by the way, we've talked about it before on the show. Arnold is a decent actor. He he really has, you know, moments where he can he can do stuff and I think Gal's the same way, but there is something about the actionness, the delivery. And I just, I, I could not, this, and I watched this twice as well. Uh, I watched this uh, with a screener and then watched it uh, once it was um, in its full glory. Uh, and, you know, now that HBO uh, Max has 4K HDR and, you know, all that fun stuff. And we should mention the, the stream also had the IMAX um, a couple times uh, throughout. Um, But yeah, as I'm watching it the second time, I'm just like, man, I think that's right. I think that Arnold comparison actually works because there is something about the performance that's just very um, action hero,
0: you know, paper doll kind of
2: idea. And, And yeah.
0: I want to throw this out there and it is kind of a negative, but it's going to tie into what you just said. I think that this movie does a disservice to the first Wonder Woman movie in the sense that It's so jarring the the stylization and the, you know, the type of movie it's trying to be from the first one that there's no real good transition from Wonder Woman to Wonder Woman 84. Like the the same Wonder Woman had me crying in the theaters whenever she walked into No Man's Land. Like it was just so powerful and emotional and to see her. Immediately in the next movie, doing some Paul Blart mall cop stuff is yeah. just so like uh,
1: awesome. and You awesome. Can- <laughs> no, it was like you can't
0: you can't do that to the same characters. Like you can't weaken Bernie's something. You know, it's it just it felt it felt wrong, and it felt like if you wanted to do this, you. I don't know how they could have done it. To where it would have worked, but it didn't work. Well, there's, I think that there's almost go ahead.
2: There's almost it's almost half measures. You know, half measures are are, are doomed to fail. And there's there you know there are moments where a show. I, there was a, a Room 104 episode that was like cheesy uh, cheesy eighty sitcom uh, episode, and it it went all out. Like you know, it, it really was. You know, and this movie, but that's an anthology. Totally. I know. That's what I'm saying. And so this movie is handcuffed by the fact that it's part of a greater IP, but that it also wants to be, I think, and again, I'm assuming this just because I can't imagine any other way to explain what this movie does is intentionally trying to do that. It's intentionally trying to be, I I really believe that. I believe this was all intentional. I don't think this flew over anybody's head. Like I, I think all the cheese, all the, the, all that stuff was very purposeful and, um, and I just think it's hard not a good to do. idea. I, I agree with you. I feel the same way you do. Um, but I know there are many that feel the same way John does. And I'm 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 glad he's here to verbalize it, which is, you know, give yourself to the cheese. Let the cheese envelop yeah, you yeah. And, and have a good time. And I just well, wasn't I was unable to do that either time I watched it.
1: If I could be more specific, you know, you know, some of the things that did work for me, because it's not like I'm disagreeing with, you know, I think a lot of these criticisms are absolutely valid. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of things that particularly the transition from the first movie to the second movie. But one thing that I do you know, cherish about this one over the first is I found so much love and care put into how Wonder Woman uses her powers. Uh, at the same time, there's way too much time in between when she's using her powers or when she's actually wearing the costume. That was a super weird choice because uh, there's so much setup. But when we do get her as Wonder Woman, terrible visual effects aside in some cases I just oh. found myself really clicking with what type of hero she is. It's very different, you know? I was thinking about how, like, the way she uses her lasso creatively, the the action scenes. There's a reason in the first Wonder Woman, that movie kind of let me down because outside of the No Man's Land sequence, which is, like, triumphant, everything else about that kind of just felt flat to me, you know? Like, I, I think, like, the villain, the third act, it, it all just felt very, like, I don't know, like not memorable or like i didn't really care what was happening i never felt like these characters were in danger but in this movie holy cow like the chaos energy of that third act is just so just over the top and i just was clicking so much with like well what's gonna happen and even though there are things that happened that made no sense whatsoever and even though i think that uh, overall cheetah is completely like total misfire by the very mm-hmm. end I think a lot of what leads up to that is pretty great, and uh, particularly Pedro Pascal stealing the show.
2: Well, and, and I think I think the cheetah thing is a, a great point to bring up here because it's almost yeah. like the movie wants to have its icing only cake and eat it too. Like it 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 wants to still have the superheroes punch each other, same versus same thing, and also want to do this different thing with Pedro Pascal. Like it wants to do both, and because of that, the cheetah thing just feels. So forced and out of nowhere and ridiculous and. It's but Kristen like, Wiig is good. She's great. She's sure. good at yeah. I mean, of course, she's she's one and Chris Pine is wonderful. I just Pine want to make sure we get that
0: clarification. We're not saying it's her fault.
2: And Chris Pine is wonderful too. But I mean, like you know, he he only exists here as a you know starting with for me feels like starting with what you want and then trying to build something around it. Uh, and instead of starting with, you know, a story and then putting the pieces together the way that work the best. And I just, you know, to me, that's the, the movie failed for me on the tone. Uh, I could not buy into it, but I get that some people could, but it also failed for me just on storytelling. Like there, there's just some really, in my opinion, poor storytelling going on here. It's, and so I, you know, for me, it's, it's kind of a a one-two punch of I
0: just, I cannot
2: find my way into this movie. Um, Uh, You mentioned
0: two things I really want to talk about. One is uh, remind, I'll just talk about this one first because it's fairly quick. How this movie really tries to shove in things to get the DC fans going, like forcefully putting elements of the Wonder Woman franchise in a movie is just so... Sloppily and pointlessly done. Uh, So (laughs) creepy, so bad. Yeah, like uh, yeah, like you don't need this element of the one. You're only putting it in just so you go, ah, look what we did. You know that kind of thing. But the other main thing that you just brought up, and I don't, I don't mean to keep drawing comparisons between the first movie and this movie, but in the first movie, you had the Wonder Woman's. not not just her uh, reaction to the 1920s or the 1910s. You know, that's not really what it was. Her reaction was to, you know, the volatility and chaotic nature of mankind. You know, that's what her reaction was towards. It wasn't the time. In this movie, it feels like it's just, look how goofy the 80s were. And there's a lot of, look how goofy the 80s were, which doesn't... Progress the story in Wonder Woman, the progression of the story tied itself into how, you know, evil mankind can be to one another. That's what the story. That's what the driving force of the story was. How goofy the 80s were does nothing for this movie other than to add like, oh, OK, so that's what that was. And hmm. then, you, I, of course, okay. you have to have the fish out of water element coming back. Again, forcefully, I think that that fish out of water element, just that entire part of it, hated.
1: I, I would slightly disagree, because I think that what I like is that they don't dwell on the fish out of water thing with Chris Pine. He what I Okay, so this is my read of the movie. Totally fair if anybody is like, you're reading way too much into it. But what I get out of the <laughs> 80s setting and Chris Pine's reaction to it and how that ties into the overall message is that you have these characters feeling like, I want more, more, more. And the 80s were about excess in a lot of ways. And so you have this character, you have uh, Steve Trevor coming into this era and being like, this is amazing. Like we are like so many things have advanced, like the quality of life has gotten better. It's so colorful. Look at all these cool outfits I can wear. And it's acceptable that I can wear. This is awesome. But then every other character who's in this time doesn't appreciate it. They're kind of like, well, I want this. I wish for this. I want this and I need more. And that to me is the message. It's not as deep as like soul, which is kind of a similar message in some ways. It's like appreciate what you have. Um, but I do think that it does relate. I think connected tissue. <laughs> it did.
2: Sure. Uh, I, I'm going to jump off on that for one positive thing I have left to say. And then I also have one negative thing left to say. Uh, and then I'm closing shop until the spoiler cast, at which point I will unleash fury. Um, or something thereof, uh, the positive yeah. thing that jumps off what you were saying is I actually like the message and theme of this movie. I actually think there's my problem with the theme is it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's well presented. Like I, I don't it doesn't think commit. it's well, and maybe that's part of it too, but I don't, I think it's, it's, it's too subtle. If that's a thing, because there's a reason they open the movie with the scene that they open the movie with, because Diana is learning a lesson. And that lesson is about what this movie is about. It's about the idea that something that is um, earned uh, unfairly is not truly earned. And I think that is the theme of this movie. And I think the movie does go there in in many different ways. And, uh, and it is the, uh, the ultimate... Um, you know, battle between the Pedro Pascal character and her comes down to that idea. You know, the whole structure of this artifact and what it does comes down to that idea. So, like, it really is fairly consistent, and I did like that, and I think it was valuable to explore that. I don't know that the movie um, clears that up enough. I don't know that there's a lot of clarity in that theme, but I, I do think it is there and. And uh, and I really did uh, appreciate it. And I'm going to go ahead and and hold the negatives uh, until the the spoiler cast, and we'll get into more of it there. Did you guys have anything else uh, you wanted to mention about this
0: movie as we wrap up? There's a mid credit scene, but you can skip it. (laughs) It's
1: so, it's just so like it's everything this movie. Yeah, it's
2: it's 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 everything this movie is, and uh, and yeah, it's it's, I don't wish out out of nowhere. Yeah.
1: I say let it be. I mean, look, I'm just very forgiving, I guess, with this movie because it it earns a lot of goodwill with me, not unfairly. And it makes me a little bit sad and bummed out that people are responding to it the way they are. But I think this, for me, will go down as a movie that I I definitely want to watch it again. And I definitely appreciate it so much. And it, it makes me a little sad that, like, it's not clicking with people and, like, it's not their fault or anything. I just, I want stuff like this to be rewarded when, you know, directors and screenwriters just really try something different or they try to break the formula a bit clearly it's not working for a lot of people but uh, i'm glad that it worked for me i'm a little sad that it could maybe deter uh creative movies from moving forward hopefully it doesn't hope we can hope for the best wish for the best
0: andrew any final thoughts uh no uh dc has a plethora of amazing stories they've told over this almost a century now you don't have to make one up that's not good. He's one
2: of the good ones. Fair enough. There are thoughts on uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Before we get into our best ever challenge for today, uh, a reminder that if you would like to support what goes on here, um, you can do that at Patreon. Patreon.com slash ShiftPop. I have previously mentioned that our members-only pre-show for this episode was us ranking our Pixar tiers um so if you want to check that out uh, as a sift pop member you can do so and if you are not yet a sift pop member thank you for even considering it just go to the website check it out see if it looks interesting to you and if you want to throw a couple bucks our way so we can keep doing this thing um it would mean the world to us patreon.com siftpop sift pop is where you go for that all right let's move on to the best ever challenge and uh we had nice full conversations on the movies uh, and now we get to go into an interesting place. movies set in the 80s but not filmed in the 80s. Um, so either looks back at the 80s or looks forward uh, at what the 1980s might be. Although looking at mine, I don't think I have any looking forward movies. Did you guys have any? I
0: look I looked for one that was looking forward, but I didn't. Find I mean, you've one.
2: got George Orwell's 1984, which is an obvious uh, you know uh, option. I just I just didn't have it. So um, we'll go from yeah. number five to number one. As always, if somebody mentions a movie that you have higher, you can trump it, and we can talk about it uh, at its highest ranking for someone. Um, All right, we'll start with number five, and uh, guests first. John, what is your number five movie set in the 80s, but not filmed in the 80s?
1: My number five movie is a very unconventional one, for sure. It is Kung Fury, which... I thought of that one. Oh, man,
0: that was my first honorable
1: mention yeah oh perfect perfect this is the david sandberg he wrote directed and stars in it his wild 80s just tribute is there a stronger word for tribute i hope uh, <laughs> homage. just a beautiful homage to uh the 1980s action movie aesthetic specifically like martial arts and like action that heroes like wave action heroes this movie is such a gift. I mean, it was crowdfunded. It's so unique in that sense. Um, it is technically Swedish, but it's English language, and it it's a short, short thing. But like every moment of it, it just for me reeks of an era that I know. I didn't live in the '80s. I was born in 1990. I don't know nothing about what mm. was going on in that decade. But it's movies like you that tell me this is what it was. Pretty literally, I think so yeah
2: oh yeah I was there it was just like this um yeah. yeah I uh the the 80s are my growing up like I was born in 75 so like 80s are 5 to 15 like that is you know growing up era so yeah I can tell you this is exactly what the 80s were like uh Kung Fury it's
1: pretty much a documentary. John, you know.
0: yeah good if you know. don't know John I got some good news for you they're making a feature-length film of Kung I've Fury heard... with Michael Fassbender and Arnold Schwarzenegger
1: oh, so exciting I hope it's amazing oh
0: I'm not going to lie. The David Hasselhoff True Survivor song from this uh little short is insanely catchy. Oh, it it's really so is. good. It's
1: so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
0: Andrew, what do you got at number 5? Uh this movie doesn't really have a set like era that it took place in, but it's hinted that this is when it takes place. I'm going to go with Joker. Oh, it, it's said that it takes place in either of the late seventies, early eighties. I always forget so how much you love I, Joker. I always forget that, yeah. and then
2: you bring it up, and like, oh yeah, he really likes that movie. Yeah, I really like Joker.
0: It's not, it's not a top hundred movie. Uh, yeah, but uh, 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 <laughs> uh Joaquin Phoenix gives a top five greatest performances of all time in this movie. Uh, <laughs> You're allowed to believe that. Uh, I think it's, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously, I'm never wrong. But I think that this movie is a unique and interesting way, kind of not in the same vein as Killing Joke, but it's an interesting way to give a, uh, a non-canon origin story for a character. Just like, hey, we just want to tell what we think is a good story that doesn't have to have a hero and that doesn't have to have a positive outcome. Uh, I know that's it's not your, I guess, your... A, your classic, you know, style of telling a story where you have a good guy and then things can work out in the end. No, you don't have a good guy, and nothing good happens in this movie. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like the road, except you at least root for the dad and the son in the road, yeah. you know. But uh, I, I think that the the visual, the cinematography, the score, and the acting of, in this movie are bar none some of the best. Nice. Uh,
2: my number five is hot rod. Uh, this is the Andy Samberg, uh, comedy. I think this is a fairly overlooked comedy and it, it is, is, it's, it's one. I wish people would go back to more because I, everything you, if you love Andy Samberg, everything you love about him is here. Uh, the sense of humor is very unique to him and feels very fun. And I think he really developed it obviously on snl and even a little bit before that um but then it's just here in movie form kind of for the first time and i i'd recommend if you haven't seen it check it out i think you'll laugh quite a bit um if you have seen it and don't remember much about it maybe revisit it because i think it's aged really well that's interesting to say but I, I i think the you know as his humor has become a little more mainstream kind of that that type of humor uh you go back and watch something like this and it feels you know even more perfect so yeah hot rod, I definitely
1: you know. agree with that yeah I almost included this one it was close uh,
2: it's all right, so num- funny number four is John what do you got
1: alright for my number four I have something totally like totally different genre than I think anything we talked about and that is Mandy the 2018 horror it's like a psychedelic <laughs> horror film um, love this movie it is Me just, too. oh it's absolutely haunting I still think about it all the time uh, Panos Cosmatos did this one, and this just everything from the aesthetic to that it, it obviously takes place in the 80s. I think like 1983, but it's like Nicolas Cage, and it's just metal. It's metal, and it's trippy, and it just makes me feel everything. You know, it makes me feel like regret and pain and love, and the action in this and the character designs are just. It's not for the faint of heart. Uh, so if you haven't seen Mandy yet, or you know, if you've been kind of on the fence about it. I, th- I think it's so worth like the sit um but it is a tough movie to watch It's a movie I've only seen once I don't know if I could see it again I'd have to like prepare myself but I'm sure it'd be a cool experience
2: I'm so with you I... on the yeah. part that it makes you feel pain and regret other than that uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I hate I hated watching this movie <laughs> I hated everything about the experience but but I, uh, I... will not begrudge those who enjoy it.
0: I love it, but I think I love it for a different reason than what John does. I love it for the simple fact that it's a let's let Nick Cage go full Nick Cage, you know. So there's kind of a uh uh a kind of a MST3K element that I love about it like, oh, I just want to see Nick Cage go crazy and I can laugh about it. Yeah, there's parts of this movie that are just really rough to watch, but like that second half when he like just makes that wicked metal axe you know like that is straight up out of like a 1980s comic book and he Absolutely. just goes crazy i'm like i just want to see nick cage go full cokehead you know you and, know john uh, yeah. knowing
2: knowing that you like mandy this much explains so much of why you like wonder woman 1984 you know it's just it's all very connected <laughs> it's colors it's just... <laughs> <laughs> that's all it is give me You're bright nostalgic colors and for unhappy.
0: an era you missed uh <laughs> sure. all right uh andrew what's your number four Number four, this is where I have American Psycho. Okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah, this is uh, when I first realized that Christian Bale was going to be a, phen- a phenomenal actor because those scenes where he, how he can just so quickly transition between being that s- s- savoir-faire, like, Wall Street, you know, uh, uh everything's hit is air on airs and they just go into a completely dark, cold, un, uh, uncaring creature, really like when he's talking about, uh, uh, Phil Collins and stuff Well, he has Jared Leto sitting on the couch and he's like laying down paper, uh, newspapers and he's wearing that, uh, that plastic raincoat. And he's just like, it is a raincoat. Is that an ax? It is an ax. And <laughs> It's such a crazy movie to this day. It's fun going online and reading uh, the the comments and the theories of what the meaning is for the ending of this movie, like what it all what it all means and stuff. And I like a movie that has a, an ambiguous ending and leaves itself up to interpretation and discussion. Uh yeah, nice. it's a it, again, not for not like Mandy, not for the faint of heart. It's a it's a shame
2: it took you that long to realize Christian Bale was a great actor. I mean, obviously we all knew at Newsies, Newsies. and Swing Kids, yeah. sure. so yeah. So yeah. Uh, all right, uh, my number four. This is where I have Napoleon Dynamite, uh, which I didn't know that was set in the '80s. Isn't not set in the '80s? I guess I, I just thought.
1: Well, I, to give this away, I have Napoleon Dynamite for mine too. The next one, so oh, okay. I consider oh. it the '80s.
2: All right, so it's your number three, right? So that would be what we would talk about next anyway. So we can go ahead and talk about it now. I'll I'll let you go ahead and talk about it since you have it a little bit higher. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this is the next one I was gonna do. Um, Sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to steal your your Napoleon. No, no, that's how it works. You (laughs) trumped it, man, it's all you. Oh my gosh, this movie, so formative for me. It came out when I was like 13. So like, I was the perfect age for this type of humor. And like, did not see this movie coming. Like, you know, like anybody else, it was like another like Nickelodeon movie. But just like the humor of it, the like throwback, you know, nature. You know, at the time, it felt more like a '90s sort of setting for me because it kind of harkened back to Mm -hmm. um, just that, like that that part of the era. I think it's like supposed to be late '80s based on like the musical choices. But well, I'm looking at it now.
2: I'm looking at it now. I guess technically the movie is set in 2004. 2004. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. Like that—that is—that is a lie. Uh, but <laughs> it says, however, the film contains several anachronisms, indicating that it would be more appropriately set in the 80s or maybe 90s. Um, so yeah, so it kind of exists maybe. outside of time uh, in that way. So we'll count it.
1: We'll say it's timeless. So it's yeah. set in every time, you know, c- you know, consequent or whatever the word is. Yeah, like, yeah.
0: All at once. I'm not faulting you guys for. Uh, picking it i mean there's so much about it that screams 80s so <laughs>
2: yeah yeah
0: yep uh all right andrew i think we're on to your uh your number three now number three this is where i have silence of the lambs uh, starting from three or actually from four i guess the top four are all movies in my top uh 100 movies of all time uh so yeah uh silence of the lambs everything you've heard about it is true <laughs> fair enough <laughs> yeah, that that'll that'll yeah. do it
2: That'll do it. Yeah, uh, I did not realize that. Uh, I did not think about Silence of the Lambs being set in the eighties. So, so yeah. Yeah. Good call.
0: I I might be cheating because the books take place in the eighties, but the movie was like filmed in the nineties. So I don't know if it was like mm. they update because you know sometimes the movies will update. You know, f- like the uh, source material. Well, you Ta-da. gave us Napoleon Dynamite, yeah. so
2: we'll give you Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right, It's kind of <laughs> like you. the dragon tattoo a little bit there, too, right? Because that's technically that's 90s. True. Harry Potter is like that. It's technically 90s, but yeah. not yeah. really, yeah. I guess.
2: Uh, all right, so I think that brings us to my number three. Um, yep. I have Atomic Blonde at uh, number three. I really like this movie. Uh, quite a bit.
0: Oh yeah, you're right. That's a, that's some Cold War stuff post Cold sure War stuff. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. again, it,
2: it kind of it maybe exists outside of time a little bit. I don't know that the year is ever specifically mentioned, but it is definitely the Cold War idea, the idea of the yeah. 80s. There's some music and colors and those kind of things that that would imply that as well. um This movie, every time I've watched it, I've enjoyed it more, and I think it really introduced us to uh, kind of a path that Charlize wanted to go on that I've really enjoyed, too. Um, So, yeah, Atomic Blonde is... is, I remember watching it at the time just going, oh, this is how... You make a an action movie that doesn't pander to having a female action star. This is how you just you make just a great action movie. In a, a female happens to be the lead, you know. And yeah, I, that, they
0: filmed her quote unquote like a guy. They really you know? did. Like, yeah, they they
2: absolutely filmed this this movie in the the same way. The camera isn't yeah you know uh doesn't treat her differently than it would treat a man. And I I really thought that was powerful and impressive. And I've really kind of liked um I mean I pretty much liked everything Charlize has done. Uh, even before or since then, um, but yeah, this is this is a good one, so that's my number three. Um, no. all right, on to number twos. John, what do you got?
1: All right, number two. Um, okay, this is a pretty classic one, and it might be a little bit of it. I guess it could some people could look at it as a cheat because it's like an alternate uh 1980s, but I'm curious, like so this should be fine. Uh, Watchmen, uh, Watchmen is just like. You know, we were talking about, like, Cold War stuff. (laughs) This one definitely goes all in on that. And, uh, you know, I almost considered, like, looping in the TV show because I think the TV show is, like, you know, way, way better. But I am definitely, like, an apologist for Watchmen. Uh, You know, we've talked about Zack Snyder a couple times, I guess, like, indirectly uh, because of the Wonder Woman thing. But this is probably my favorite thing he's ever done. I I just think that it's, it's so just epic and lavish to the source material without feeling like you know there's a lot of stuff they cut out but like I think there were a lot of really smart decisions they made to sort of make this thing really work in a theatrical setting and I did see it in a the theater and this is another film I saw like just the right time I was like 19 years old so like I was uh full lord status you know and <laughs> I was I came into this movie actually I had never read the comic before I saw it the first time so I didn't uh-huh. know what was going on But I was taken on an incredible journey, and I'll never forget it. And as I've rewatched it, I actually do think it really holds up. It's not like a masterpiece. It's not like, you know, one of the greatest superhero movies ever done. But it definitely, for me, is one of the most, one of the ones I appreciate the most.
2: I definitely haven't uh, rewatched it. I did not like it uh, when I saw it the first time, but that was a long time ago. And, you know, my... Movie viewing has definitely changed since then, so I might need to revisit it. Um, if it's your favorite Zack Snyder, I can only assume you've never seen um, the Legend of Guardians: of The Owls of Kahool. Because I do,
1: that's probably my number two. Uh, it, I do I'm really not like kidding; that it's a movie.
2: really good movie. Uh, it is and, and such a good popcorn it, flick. Uh, that Zach did that one, so yeah, yeah.
0: I gotta be honest; I have rewatched uh, Watchmen a whole bunch since it uh, initially came out. When it first came out, I hated it. I think I like this movie. I think I do. I will hold the hill I'm gonna die on till the day I die. This is the worst scored slash uh, soundtracked movie of all time. It is The the music for this is so wrong in many different places. Like, having Hallelujah play during the sex scene is just so awkward. Or having Simon and Garfunkel during the... uh, the funeral, I mean, I could go on. This is just a terribly scored slash soundtracked movie. Hmm. Having said that, though, as I went back and watched it more and more times, I think that Rorschach is such a. The way that he uh, brings that character to life on screen is, like, right up there with, like, how you're supposed to do a character like that or Batman, you know? Because he, he is, like, the. Uh, the watchman universe's version of batman nope. oh little side little side tease uh if you haven't people go ahead and read doomsday clock it's where the dc universe and the watchman universe collide really good uh um, I, I would just
1: say I, I thought night owl was more batman but then uh warshack is like a combination of batman and the question right mm, or did yeah have i been getting that wrong
0: no you're you're right uh, this because Batman has, yeah go ahead Aaron no I was just gonna say this
2: movie Watchmen definitely makes choices I think that's you know what I would say even if you like it don't like it it definitely makes some choices even with what you're talking about with the music right it's just it's making choices it's saying this is what we're doing and, and we're gonna do it and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't um, what do you got at number two Andrew
0: oh yeah we're doing that aren't we mm-hmm. I forgot Um, number two I have Boogie Nights
2: yep definitely had that in my half honorable this mentions movie
0: takes pl- yeah. half of this movie takes place in the 70s other half takes place in the 80s. Man, the 70s looked so fun. Everybody was having <laughs> a great time. And then, boom! William H. Macy uh, brings us into the new <laughs> decade in a very shocking fashion. And the second half of this movie is rough. Uh, the 80s were not good for the porn industry, apparently. You had crazy Alfred Molina coked up. That is one of the most tense scenes in any movie ever. Actually, I think the most tense scene in a movie is actually in my number one on our on our list right here. But uh, the second most is uh, the Alfred Molina where you have John C. Reilly. Uh, I can't remember if uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was there, too. No, he wasn't. That was a uh, Thomas Jane. It was uh, John C. Riley, Thomas Jane and Marky Mark who were all sitting on that couch acting all awkward. Or you have Alfred Alfred Molina going crazy. Uh, If you would have ever told me that a movie about uh, the porn industry and how it affected in the 70s and 80s would be one of the greatest movies of all time, uh, I'd probably believe you.
2: (laughs) Uh, My number two, I couldn't find exactly when this movie is supposed to be set, but it feels like it's set in the 80s to me. So this is where I'm putting Baby Driver. Uh, on my list, um, this feels very. Oh, that much...
0: is definitely 2000s. Really?
1: Yeah, because he has an he has an iPod.
0: They're they're in modern cars.
2: You know what? I'm taking it back. Uh, I <laughs> did not consider my choice well enough here. Um, I do
1: love Baby Driver, but man, I just wanted to talk about <laughs> yeah the Baby soundtrack Driver.
0: and the way like he dresses and stuff. That's
2: oh, wait, 80s. Wait, I misread it. It's actually uh, Ryan Gosling's Drive that I meant to have at oh, number two. Yeah, um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there that, yeah, is, that is set 80s. in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I was saying uh, Drive is an amazing movie but uh, that's set in modern out? times too
0: No it is not That one's definitely in yeah, the 80's is. No, is mo- I or, thought it was the 80's No because remember in, during the first heist He's driving the Honda Civic That modern Honda Civic to get away
1: mm. That came through like a time portal though So it's yeah. in the deleted scenes Oh yeah. i <laughs> right. yeah. Time travel
0: Fine sing street Now <laughs> deal with it <laughs> Wait, was that your number one you
1: just dropped
2: down to number? No, no, I'm just throwing other movies out there.
0: Uh, Sing Street is in my honorable mentions, though.
2: Yeah, for sure. I had that in my honorable mentions as well.
1: Sing Street's my number one. Hey!
0: Hey! Let's talk about it! Drive it like you stole it, buddy.
1: Oh, my goodness. Sing Street's one of my favorite. This is in my all-time list. It's like in my top 20. Mm -hmm. Um, It's my favorite John Carney film, which is saying a lot because I'm a... John Carney and I, if we could have a conversation, uh, he would get sick of me real fast. Um, Sing Street takes place in 1985. So it's like dead set in the middle. And I'll carry on the theme of like how I watched this. I was 25. Uh, and at this point in my life, like I loved music. And I had, you know, I had gone through my 80s phase like a couple of times at this point. My first 80s phase music wise was when I was a teen and then a little bit in college. But then Sing Street kind of opened some doors for me when it came to music that came out of the UK and that came out of like Ireland and stuff, because, you know, obviously I'd heard a lot of it, but I didn't have an appreciation for it. I didn't have like the context that this movie gives and puts through the narrative of like this teen who just like, he goes into music for all the wrong reasons, right? Like he just he just wants to get the girl. No, I shouldn't say the wrong reasons. For like the reasons you wouldn't expect. Like it's not because he has like a deep passion, you know, for for playing an instrument or any raw talent. It's because he wants to get the girl. But then he develops like a passion for music. And that's so great because like there's so many people like that, like me, uh, who come at music from that. Way in and it's just so joyful and how like music is for everybody and you don't have to be the greatest to have like to leave an impression and to like let music like enrich your life and change your life and also the the brother plot of it just I was that's weeping. what I was gonna bring up my goodness the, yeah Sing Street yeah. for sure number one
0: yeah I <laughs> can't fault you man I love that movie no it's good and I was so livid when Drive It Like You Stole It was not nominated for best song oh, ridiculous yeah
2: it's a good song. It's, that's I, it's insanely good song. Sing Street's great. That's why I had it at number two. Uh, you know, drive it like you stole it. When I, I get it, that's what yeah. I was saying. Baby, drive it like you stole
0: it. <laughs> uh, num- <laughs> number number uh, one for you, Andrew. Uh, Aaron, John, what is the most you've ever lost on a coin toss? <laughs> this is what well, this was my number one as well. So yeah, I, yeah, I had a um. feeling. Yeah, No Country for Old Men is such a terrifying movie this came out in 2007 and i can't remember which one came out first it was either this or there will be blood they came out really close to each other i know it's the same and, year, yeah yeah it was only within like a couple months of each other and both of those movies are actually in my top 10 movies of all time right next to each other and i keep going back and forth which one i like more i think that no country for all men has the better story well i think that uh there will be blood has the better performances that's not to take anything away from Javier Bardem, because Anton Chigurh is one of the most terrifying villains of all time. Uh, the what, what I was talking about earlier is the gas station scene, what's the most you've ever lost on a coin toss, being what I consider the most tense, like, white-knuckle-inducing scenes in any movie. Because there's no reason for him to show that type of animosity to the old man. And you just feel like, please, you have a 50-50 chance. Please just... Let the guy go. Let the guy go. And he's talking about how uh, the coin traveled 22 years to get here. And now it's here. And it's kind of like a great analogy for the for the movie. You know, like Josh Brolin's character had been, you know, uh, doing welding and stuff like that for 22 years. And then he finds that money. And now he is here. Anton Chigurh is here. It got to the same place or they met up at the same place that the coin did. It's such a good movie. Man, I love the Coen brothers. This is unlike any Coen brothers movie out there, really. Like, it's, I think a lot of Coen brothers movies have, like, a really comedic element to them, you know? Like, you could look at, mm-hmm. even their serious movies. Fargo has a lot of funny mov- moments in it, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's part There's of not it. much, yeah. there's not much that you can, if anything, that you can laugh at in No Country for Old Men. But it's good, Aaron. Yeah. Tell me why I'm right. Uh, because you
2: know all, and you are the one who has the information. No, you, you said everything I, I wanted to say. Um, I, I feel like we've talked this this movie to death. It ends up on a lot of our lists, and uh, that's because it's yeah. it's a, a great movie. And Uh, I am with you on the Coen Brothers. I tend to go more for their funny movies. It's not my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Um, Mm. I have several, actually, Coens that I like more than this, um, but it is still a fabulous film and uh, is in my top uh, 100 of all time. So um, it's not a surprise that it would be up at the top of this list for me. Um, All right, some honorable mentions. Before we get to those, uh, I will mention in the chat, people are uh, throwing out things like Donnie Darko, which I think is a, a decent choice you know my
0: feelings on that movie um, yeah yeah uh
2: somebody uh found out that rocky five is set in 1985 and was filmed in 1990 so they want to include rocky five uh in the discussion I as well
0: knew, i knew <laughs> i knew tommy morrison who was the guy he fought in rocky Five.
1: Oh, like his protege yeah
0: yeah hmm.
2: yeah tommy
0: morrison was an actual boxer
2: but Good guy. Who, Buck Hoovian says Back to the Future 3 was set in the 1880s. Does that count? Um, well, no, because it was filmed in the 1980s. It was 1980s, filmed in the 80s. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that does not count. That's, that. that's funny, though. I so, thought uh, Cool Runnings was mentioned. Uh, that's a fun one. So, yeah, it has a pop sled team. Lots of good stuff in there. Uh, Other honorable mentions. I'll just throw out mine. And then, Andrew, if you've got some or John, if you've got some, you can throw those out as well. I
0: got a bunch. Uh,
2: I had question marks on some of these just because, as we've already indicated, I obviously don't know when things are set in. But these feel like 80s movies to me, if nothing else. Cabin in the Woods has a very 80s feel to to me. Um, So I wanted to mention that. Uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Do we know for sure that happens in the 80s or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Oh, that, yeah. That's, that's in
1: my honorable mentions.
2: Yeah, that's definitely one worth mentioning. Uh, the Wedding Singer, Adam Sandler. Um, mm. Ad- Adventureland is worth mentioning. People probably want us to mention Wolf of Wall Street. Probably a good one to mention. Lots of that takes place in the 80s. Um, oh,
0: man, that would have been my top five, probably.
2: Uh, let's, Eddie the Eagle. I was surprised you didn't mention Eddie the Eagle. Um, I thought that was 70s. Was that 80s? I believe that was the 80s, yeah. so Man! Yeah. But, but don't trust I'll, me. You know how much I love that movie. <laughs> I thought Baby Driver was the 80s, so don't trust me. Uh, I, Tonya, um, uh It, I think is worth mentioning. Uh, yep. It is, I'll mark that one off. Um, Straight Out of Compton, I thought was worth mentioning as well. A lot of that takes place in the 80s. Uh, that's pretty much all. Oh, Romy and Michelle, I think is one worth mentioning that a lot of people uh, don't think about. Romy and Michelle's High School uh, Reunion, I think is a, a really fun comedy that a lot of people have <laughs> I don't overlooked. I think so. I know that one um you can look it up uh john did you have any other honorable mentions you wanted to throw out there
1: dang well you guys mentioned almost all of them um no country for old men of course uh wolf of wall street was one adventure land uh that's very formative movie for me uh wet hot american summer of course uh the only one that you guys uh, i have two that you did mention uh one of them is class action park uh which technically is you know it's a documentary but like a lot of that is footage of the 80s right so it's (laughs) a great doc today sort of I don't know if that counts but that does that has the spirit of the 80s through and through um also I did have one that kind of cheated with the 1880s thing I put down true history of the Kelly gang um I think that partly takes place in the like early like the mid1800s but then yeah part of the movies in the 1880s and that movie if you haven't seen it uh came out earlier this year and it is just it's one of my top 20 so i i, nice. I really really responded to it
0: Nice, Andrew did you have any others uh, just two more. Uh, pursuit of Happiness. Uh, watch Will Smith just say, "Give me my Oscar," mm-hmm. and they said no. Yeah, he <laughs> um, he said that a few it's, times, it's, and they can
2: they've continued to say no.
0: Yeah, you just say no. Uh, I think of that, uh, pursuit of ha- I think pursuit of happiness is a very powerful and emotional movie about you know uh, never giving up. You know, just uh, it you no matter how many times you get knocked down, just it just takes one more time to stand up. You know. It's it's a very powerful movie. I love it. And then uh, the other one that I would mention is the beginning of the McConaissance, and that would be Dallas Buyers Club. Fair enough. Yep, good choices all. Um, we are we are there. It's time
2: for our buried treasure, guys. What's that one thing in any area of pop culture you want to make sure uh, other people know about? Um, I'll start us off. I've been on a Billy Wilder kick. Uh, I have very much for a movie lover been lacking in my Billy Wilder, and that is something I am trying to rectify uh, over the last couple of weeks and saw for the first time what many consider to be his best, I believe. I know it ranks really highly in the all-time rankings, but uh, finally got around to seeing The Apartment.
1: Um, oh. and not my favorite gonna movie say. of all time. This is my number one. Nice! Well, Billy Wilder is my favorite director, along with uh, him and Richard Linklater.
2: I get it now i get it now like and not only is he so talented and the movies he makes are so good he's just he makes so many different kinds of movies and it's just it's it's really incredible to look through his career as i've been doing and i feel very much like i've ignored something um that i that i really should be held accountable for like there should be some punishment for me not having watched billy wilder movies up until this point uh the apartment is great it's so good and um the, I mean, I fell in love with both of them <laughs> in this movie. Like, Tony Curtis is so good in this movie. Uh, and Jack Lemon. I'm sorry, I said Tony, I meant Jack Lemon. Uh, Something like a
1: hot Tony Curtis. Yeah. Yes,
2: correct. <laughs> yes, that's what I was thinking. Um, and and it's just what I love about this movie is it's just perfect like i don't know how you make this movie better like i just there's no scene that can be cut there's no line that's not exactly what it needs to be there's no moment that's not perfectly captured there's no relationship that doesn't feel you know like the the intricacy of this plot is matched only by its authenticity like i just i was blown away by this movie and um so yeah i just i i wanted to to let people know if you like me have uh forsook uh, some of the the greatest uh, directors uh, take some time to catch up, and this is definitely one you're going to want to catch up on. Um, yeah, I just I was I was blown away by how modern this movie feels too. Just just you know, oh, the yeah. fact, I think it's 1960. I think is when it came out. Yeah, um,
1: 1960, and it's like it the the themes of it, everything like it totally still works today. Like yeah. everything it's trying to say, and even some of the like the gender relationships and mm-hmm. and all the story around that is like totally relevant it's timeless yeah
2: and uh fred mcmurray you know like uh if your only oh. experience with him is is through uh disney movies then you know after you check out double indemnity number one uh check out the <laughs> yes. apartment number two yep um yep. so yeah it's it's pretty incredible stuff uh going on in this movie so that's so fun that it's your number one favorite movie of all time
1: um that's... i watch it every year around christmas time oh that's really it cool. is a christmas movie
2: uh, every movie is if you try hard enough <laughs> um, I I did think it's funny. Like I I watched probably four movies in the course of two days that had people singing "Old Anxiety" in it, uh, including uh, "The Apartment" uh, and "It's Wonderful Life" and "Mr. Smith Goes to Washington." And I can't forget what the the fourth was, but it just it that's that song, that, that song is elf? everywhere in movies. What's that?
1: <laughs> Doesn't Elf have that?
2: It might it might have been Elf. It really might have end. been. Um. So anyhow, huge recommend. Check out "The Apartment." Uh, what do you got, Andrew?
0: I'm gonna go with a selfish plug. Do it, man. I um, Believe it or not, Aaron, I kind of started doing YouTube again, but not in the way that I used to. You know me. I love Dungeons & Dragons. And I decided, why don't I just, because we finished our our last campaign. I think I remember bringing that up. After two years, we finally finished it, and we started a new one. So I started recording the audio and the visuals from that. And I started uploading it on YouTube. So if you go to youtube.com forward slash Flick Freaks, you will see the ghosts of Saltmarsh, which is the new campaign that we have started. It is a lot of fun and a uh, little content warning. Uh, this show we do here is pretty family friendly, you know, get the uh, kids involved. My show, not so much, not so much. It's, uh, <laughs> Thanks <laughs> for yeah. the warning. Thanks That's for good. the warning. Yeah. <laughs> But if but if you are, like, curious about, like, how D&D works and stuff, I think we go into a lot more detail than, say, something like Harmon Quest or uh, NADPOD, which I think really focuses more on the entertainment aspect of it, you know, like, just to, you know, make it seem fun and not really showing you the mechanics, where I think is we, you know, we don't hold back because the mechanics can be fun. So Very good. That's my plug. The Ghosts of Salt- Saltmarsh. Nice. I'll have to
1: check that out. I love Dungeons & Dragons, so it looks like a easy thing for me to get on. Nice. There you
2: go. Uh, John, what do you got for your buried treasure?
1: Alright. I, You know, this is a tough one because I really thought about going down the video game route. Because last time I went anime, mm-hmm. I was like, trying to be different, you know. Um, but I was thinking, worried about it, and I was like, ah, everybody knows about this video game. I was going to mention this, the new Spider-Man one, but it's like...
2: The Miles Morales game?
1: We, yeah. yeah, it's like it doesn't need any plugs for me. Can <laughs> so I'm going to plug something that I do hope gets way more attention. It's a movie that just came out. It's on Amazon Prime. But, like, I think because of Soul and Wonder Woman and Promising Young Woman and, like, all these, like, big movies coming out, it's kind of getting buried. But Sylvie's Love, which, oh, my goodness, this is the new Eugene Ash film with Tessa Thompson and kind of a newcomer. I, I didn't know him as well, but um, Nnamdi Asamuga, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, this is like a sweeping throwback romance talk about films like set and uh, the past mm-hmm. that is classic hollywood just but with like a modern directorial feel um i had the uh, the absolute privilege to see this at sundance so i got to see it on the big screen and i don't know how it translates yet to like a smaller screen but if you have a great setup the sound design in this movie is just absolutely gorgeous and you know i think you know don't go into it thinking this is going to be your movie of 2020 necessarily it's not that deep or you know it's it it, there's a lot of things about it that are very like simple and like uh surface level in terms of like a, a romance set you know in the like i think if i recall correctly it's like the 1940s 50s i don't remember exactly that said, though, it's just a pleasure to, like, watch this thing and, like, get swept up into that era again. It's a great distraction. If you want something that's not going to, like, you know, be, if you're not in the mood for something, like, too introspective or, like, something too complicated, if you just want, like, a nice, comforting throwback watch, Sylvie's Love. It's, like, out right now, and it, it really is a joy to watch.
2: Very nice. It's, great uh, cast I'm looking at. Yeah, Sylvie's Love on Amazon Prime, if you want to check that out. Uh, before we finish out, I did also want to mention I have fully embraced the letterbox, uh the last couple weeks. Uh, I've taken the time to uh, upload because I didn't know there was an import feature. Uh, I've imported my annual uh, spreadsheets that I do for my movie diary. And so now I have a complete letterbox. I'm also in the midst of upla- uh, uploading updates to my favorite 41 movies of the year for the past 20 years. Uh, so if you want to check those out, you can check out my letterbox. It's Aaron Dicer. Uh, John, I think you're on letterbox as well. I think I saw you hanging out over there. Um,
1: yeah, I'm trying to find you right now. I didn't know you were on the, the LB. Let's go. Let's follow each other. I'm <laughs> Let's to find do you right it. Now.
2: Uh, so yeah so I have fully embraced it I, I didn't know be... you could follow people on Letterboxd
1: yeah it's very much a, oh,
2: yeah. a movie social network that's what it is and I it... just
0: use it to make lists mm-hmm. yeah
2: <laughs> the lists are nice and the, the diary is really really nice and the fact that I can just upload my spreadsheets was that sealed it for me so um, so yeah so I've uh, give me a follow um, I've been trying to follow some people back as well so you know just kind of have the community going there on Letterboxd Uh, That'll do it. We did a podcast, guys. We managed to make it happen. Congratulations to us for all our efforts and work. Uh, Proud of you. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us today. Sif Pop is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media, or you can search Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out again today. Thank you, buddy. Huge thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Nice, Phil. Thanks to uh, Drew for putting together all the uh, the graphics and such. Golf clap. And a big thanks to John Negroni for joining us as guests this week. John, uh, go ahead and Woo! plug away, man. Where do you want people to find you? What do you got going on in the world right now?
1: You can find me on Twitter. At John O'Groney, that's like where everything I have is showing up. And uh, podcast-wise, you can check out Cinemaholics. If you want to hear more of what I have to say about new films, um, Cinemaholics podcast, uh, or just go to our website, Cinemaholics.com. We also have like written reviews and stuff, too. So definitely check it out. It's a fun time. Well, we
2: appreciate you being here, man, and uh, glad to have you on again. Hopefully, we'll be able to do so again in the future. Um, you can support what goes on at SifPop by becoming a Sif Pop member. It starts at three bucks a month. You get access to all the bonus episodes as well as some other fun perks. Uh, you can find out more at patreon.com sifpop Sif uh, Lots of ways to connect with us. You can email us at feedback at sifpop.com. You can also leave comments Uh, Rate the podcast, leave a review at Apple Podcasts uh, wherever that you listen. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show too, so make sure you let them know about it and that listening is much easier than getting a haircut from someone whose soul is trapped in the body of an animal. We will be back next week with another special guest, and I think we're going to chat news of the world in the midnight sky. So we will see you then.
0: Bye.